Hello and welcome to uh, the second live stream this week. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Brennan uh, Wiramu from Y Makariri. I'll try that right. Uh, Civil Defence. Uh, Brennan, hello. How are you? Morning, Robin. Morning, Ireland. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We've a we've a global audience uh, here today. So, uh, as per every live stream, you're welcome to contact us in the chat. Um, so if you're on watching on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, I think we're, we're broadcasting all over the place, you can get us uh, on the chat there. So just ask your comments um, straight in there and they, they come up in front of Brennan and myself. So, so Brennan is in New Zealand. Um, I normally do a map uh, to show people where we're talking about. Um, I'll bring that up now, Brennan, actually. Um, Tell, tell people a little bit where, where you are. Oh, kia ora, everybody. <laughs> That's a New Zealand native for hello. Uh, so we're well south of uh, Australia. We're the closest uh, population to Antarctica. Uh, and I'm in the province of Canterbury. Canterbury is in the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, the province of Canterbury consumes about uh, one third of the landmass of New Zealand's South Island which is roughly one-sixth of the total of New Zealand. And for the Irish, New Zealand is just short of four times larger in terms of landmass than Ireland. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so let's take a look here. I've got a map, always fun. Um, so again, that's our second time talking to New Zealand this week. So, um, Brian, you're just in land of Christchurch, is that right? That's correct. So Christchurch City is about a 20-minute drive south from my home, and I'm in the centre of our district of Waimakariri. Okay, excellent. I know, yeah, I think it's familiar to lots of people who have visited New Zealand to be in that area. Okay, excellent. So uh, this is what we're talking about. Uh, just, just very. We're, we're gonna we're gonna talk mainly today about the one in 100 year floods that that have happened recently. But I think it, it's interesting just generally for people to, to hear about what are the threats in the area. Um, so um, I can open with, is it the Alpine Fault? Is that the right phrase? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, well, explain that to people and maybe anything else that uh, you guys will. Uh, yeah, sure. So the. Um... The South Island of New Zealand is, uh, there's basically two coasts, the East Coast and the West Coast, and there is a massive long ridgeline of alpine mass that separates those, separates those two coastlines, and we call it the um, South Island's alpine um, area, and there is a huge uh, volcanic um, earthquake fault line that basically runs almost the full length of New Zealand's South Island, and it's called the um, South Island Alpine Fault. And I think for geologists, it's it's possibly the largest, most explored, comprehensively explored by science people um, fault line in the world. So this is a, okay. a massive uh, risk for New Zealand, uh, particularly for the South Island. But if the Alpine Fault ever goes in a significant way, and we 
we're talking probably magnitude seven on the Richter scale or higher. Uh, it is likely to cause damage in the southern parts of New Zealand's North Island as well, capital city of Wellington. Yeah, for sure. And so the preparation around that is what? What do you? What do you? Yeah, you've got a community a massive, response. National right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a massive national in place at the moment. It's been going for nearly two years. It's science informed. It's um, it's an amalgamation of science fraternity and the emergency management fraternity. Uh, so all throughout uh, of Canterbury and all throughout the South Island, in fact, uh, the local emergency management agencies, which are the local authorities in our country, mm -hmm. we're all charged with the responsibility of delivering civil defence emergency management, particularly around natural hazards. So we've been engaging our communities for about two years now since the most comprehensive science studies of the Alpine Fault were released. And they've taken a, a very realistic scenario, a scenario that is probably actually overdue in New Zealand, for a magnitude eight earthquake mm -hmm. centered somewhere along the Alpine Fault Line. And they've picked randomly three locations, one to the south, one to the north, and one in the center. And they've modeled what that potentially will look like in terms of um, physical consequences on the landscape. So lots of the community planning that's been going on for the last nearly two years has mm -hmm. been based on those models. And, and when that happens, I mean, my understanding is the kind of line is no one's coming to help you. you it'll be a complete yeah, overwhelming yeah, well, uh, Despite its size compared to Ireland, it's still a very, very small land mass. So mm. the South Island, if we get a magnitude eight earthquake on the South Island Alpine Fault, um, there will be no place on the South Island that won't be severely physically impacted by this. Um, and Canterbury, uh, we're, the, we're the largest province in all of the South Island. In fact, geographically, we're the largest province, I believe, in New Zealand. Um, and whilst we're going to be having to look after things ourselves in Canterbury, a big part of this um, collaboration between the scientists and the emergency management sector is looking at what residual capacity we might have to support the much smaller community on the west coast of the Alpine Fault Line. Mm -hmm. Canterbury's on the east coast. Um, and we have a very small but long linear uh, community along our west coast, and they're most likely to be most affected by a um, magnitude eight earthquake on the Alpine Fault. So okay. our planning involves what we can do to help the west coast, uh, but we expect that um, all of the infrastructure is going to be severely damaged so it's probably going to be um, air and sea is the only way to get around quickly. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's quite the event. Now, we're about to talk about floods, which I assume are, um, you've got this large, the, the river that, that runs through. Um, t tell me a bit about that. What's the, what is the flood risk? You've, you do have this huge river. Yeah, so the Waimakariri district, we are one of 10 local authorities across this province of Canterbury. Mm -hmm. Wai Makariri is a Māori name, two words in there, Wai, W-A-I means water, and Makariri means cold. So very common across the South Island of New Zealand, a lot of the rivers are glacial fed directly from the Alpine region, from the Southern Alps. Yeah. And um, the district of Wai Makariri is bounded to the south by the Wai Makariri River, which separates us from Christchurch City. And as I said, it's only a 20-minute drive to the centre of the business district of Christchurch City from where I live. 
And to our north, we have the Ashley River. So both of these are glacial-fed rivers. And then there are a number of smaller rivers that come off those. Mm -hmm. And most of these are fed from the Alpine region. So we get a lot of flow um, out of the hills and the high country and the mountainous areas. All flows down to the sea on our eastern border. And so we are high flood risk um, mm. district. And much of Canterbury shares this sort of uh, risk profile. So back on uh, Sunday the 30th of May, we were hit by, Canterbury was hit by a significant uh, rainfall event that was predicted three days out. Uh, so there was a degree of preemptive um, actions to help us reduce the impacts of that, and that worked quite well. Uh, but if you think about what our name is, Waimakariri, we're a glacial-fed um, mm -hmm. river community. We're bounded by rivers. Rivers are a huge, probably the biggest part of our risk profile. In yeah. terms of collateral damage, the Alpine Fault earthquake scenario is probably our most significant one. It's going to do the most damage. But in terms of our most frequently occurring significant um, natural disasters, they they come from rainfall events affecting our rivers. So that's what hit us on the, the 30th of June. Uh, we activated our emergency operations centre. It ran for two weeks. Uh, we did the largest ever planned and ordered evacuation in the history of this district. Um, we had three different geographical areas across the Waimakariri district that had to be evacuated. Rough numbers, somewhere in the order of probably uh, two or 3,000 properties affected by those three evacuation zones. Uh, we've never done an evacuation for a real emergency of that scale before that I'm aware of. Wow. Uh, your your uh, PowerPoint presentation with pictures has just arrived in. Um, it's here up on the screen. I don't know if you can you can see. Uh, maybe if you scroll up on the the screen you're on, you might you might see it. Um, tell me what would you like me to show here? Um, oh, maybe if you want to just randomly go through the slides and and I could yeah talk, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll just pause excellent. You. Thank you. Yeah. So depending on where geographically you were, I'm not sure how much viewers understand the science of predicting the annual return intervals for uh, disasters and particularly for rainfall events. No, if you but could explain it. Predicated on historical data. And uh, so what you can see there, those are some of our largest communities in the Waimakariri district. Mm -hmm. And the recorded rainfall levels in each of those communities at times on specific days that you can see there across the top of that matrix. Yeah. Uh, the recordings there, when you match that to previous historical data, you get the average return interval. So as you can see beneath the matrix, uh, in Oxford on the 29th of May and the 30th of May, mm -hmm. the amount of rainfall recorded over that 48-hour period was the equivalent of a 127-year rainfall event. And if you go down to the little community of Woodend, which mm. is about the same size as Oxford, um, over that same period, the rainfall recorded in Woodend uh, was the equivalent of a 120-year event. And um, most of the underground infrastructure for drainage um, in our district, most of it was originally built to a design um, to a design to meet a one in ten year event. And mm -hmm. over years, it's gradually being replaced by um, infrastructure that can absorb up to a one in fifty year event. So we expect every time we get these much larger events uh, to see problems in our district, and that is very much what we see in our risk profile real-time in the Waimakariri. 
Okay, excellent. And wow. probably lots of people, uh, viewers around the world who are tuning into this um, won't be surprised by that. It looks like an ugly river. Uh, for us locally, that dispels um, you know, purest danger, uh, depending on where geographically mm. you are at the time. Uh, that, that's not a. This is not a site uh, that we see too often, and when we see it, we know that um, houses are being impacted by it. Thankfully, not too many houses were actually drowned by this event. I think across our district, uh, we evacuated a lot of people. It was a precautionary evacuation, mm -hmm. and I think we had less than ten houses that got wet inside the axe. Okay. Of course, being Kiwis, we uh, there are lots of people who about animals. The Waimakariri District, compared to Christchurch City, uh, Waimakariri all district, um, and characterised by lifestyle farmers. So these are not commercial farmers; they're hobby farmers. Uh, they have lots of land. Uh, they have animals. They have horses uh, for recreational purposes mainly. Um, so flooding events uh, have quite a significant impact for us. You can probably skip through those. They're just reiterating the the amount of rainfall that fell compared to previous years, and you know, this was a significant event for us. We get lots of moderate flood events. Yeah, go ahead. How, yeah, how, how did you organize the evacuation? I see the zones here. I mean, what was the messaging? Uh, who was out on the ground? What were you tracking? Yeah, so this is, this is possibly um, not something that we are proud to share, but we had a, a moment in time when we had technical issues with uh, GIS data, geospatial information systems, and getting together the map uh, graphic that you see there, um, a publicly displayable map mm. that showed the areas that we were going to evacuate with a degree of detail that people could easily relate to in terms of getting the, the street names on it, for example, the road names on it. And if you were uh, at the extremity of the evacuation zone, was running along the road that you live on, um, the houses on both sides of that road have to evacuate or only on one particular side. So yeah. we had some issue, technical issues with GIS, and so we couldn't get that degree of information onto our evacuation maps. But the mechanism for telling people they needed to go was a combination of getting this public map up. We threw it up on Facebook and on the council's um, public website. In New Zealand, we have this um, warning system where we can bring up a map, uh, put polygons on it like what you see, yep. create a message, press send, and it, it hits every single smartphone and cell phone able to receive smart messages. Yeah. And basically telling people, if you're inside this area, go to the link and you'll see the map on your screens or on your phones, get out of there now sort of thing. So yeah. there was uh, that messaging went out, and at the bottom end of the line, we had um, emergency responders in uniform and vehicles with red lights and sirens going door to door. So it was and, an and fantastic effort yeah. by the emergency. Where were they going? Where, the did did you did you have to put on shelter for these people? Um, I yes, mean, we did. a lot of people go to relatives, but there must have been an overflow as well. That's, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, despite the number of people and the, the large geographical area, whereas we're still geographically quite small. So you could drive around our entire district in about in less than two hours, including if you were to go way up to the western flank, which is mountainous area for us. Mm -hmm. So we do have a number of community halls in the district that belong to the council. 
and we were able to direct people to those. We didn't have people there that could receive them and look after them and keep them happy. Uh, in some cases, it was a matter of just unlocking the door and lead, leaving the building open. In other cases, we had staff uh, managing the centres. Mm -hmm. Okay, wow. So this is a good example of um, real physical impacts in a very rural part of our district, given that our entire district is considered to be a rural district. Yeah. Uh, and then within rural districts, you've got some very urban areas and you've got some quite rural areas. Uh, so this place here, the photo probably, if you were to look at that photo four days later when the water receded, um, uh, an entire river ran through that property and it's kind of like Noah's Ark. Everything on that property, and it's a 10-acre property, is now covered in about two metres of river shingle, um, but the house completely dry on the inside. It's uh, amazing, really. So he lost all yeah. of his livestock. Okay. So that's our total district. And, and what's very prominent in there, I'm not sure if your viewers can make out the blue lines there, but you can see the Waimakari River to the bottom of the screen yep. going from left to right and the ash nearer the top of the screen going left to right. Mm -hmm. They're our two largest rivers um, and these were problematic. Um, and then there's a smaller river between the two parallels them in terms of the way okay. they flow from left to right. And between those three, that's where most of our problems from are, are the fords are they normally they're present um normally bridges? most times here probably for about 90 percent of the year uh, that river there is called the air river and it's reasonably dry and so uh, the local rural people there are crossing those every day the school yep. buses cross them um, and very very early on the evening of sunday 30 uh, may Every single one of those was closed and remained closed for nearly two weeks. Okay, due to damage. Despite that, um, it's actually very difficult to geographically isolate people in the Waimaka district. Our road network is comprehensive. There are yeah. lots of alternate routes you can take. Other routes. So we had one small um, commercial farming community way off on our western flank, close to the, um, the Alpine region, and it was completely isolated for about three weeks. Okay. Do you um, arranging supplies for the, them during isolation, or how? Um, yeah, well, the, the good thing about them is that farmers are very resilient anyway, and mm. the commercial farms have a lot of infrastructure. They have a lot of resources. The more remote farmer you are in New Zealand, uh, the more resilient yeah. you are because generally they stock up, and they'll only come into the nearest. Um, urban area to restock on groceries for example maybe once every month maybe once every two months okay okay um, so food and water isn't an issue for them even though water supplies were impacted some of the plumbing got uh, even out on this largest commercial farm uh, they do have a lot of resources to fix something like mm. that and in our district plan rules if you live in the rural area have to have um, your own water supply in addition to the water supply that the council might be providing you. okay okay very good um, so what what our river floodings normally do to us is they close down roads 
uh, they'll drown underground infrastructure and our ability to repair that infrastructure quickly, we, we've got a bit of experience at it now and we're creating the diameter of our pipes to be able, be able to absorb more water. Um, of course, we're never going to beat these 100-year uh, return events. Uh, yes. We're always going to challenge us. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, there's a comment in here from Kate, I'm sure, the IR River you, you're familiar with. Yes, hello, Kate. <laughs> so she used to work in our council. Ah. Um, and she is a GIS expert by background. Unfortunately, she wasn't working for us when this event happened. Go ahead, Kate, what's your question? Ah, right, I see her comment, yes. Do you have additional protocols now if the same were to happen at COVID alert level four? Uh, no, so our protocols are very much the same, and um, I'm not sure. Did that question come from Kate or from It's from Kate, person? yeah, yeah. The two, the two are okay. So, so as Kate's probably experiencing herself, because she just lives a, a, about a kilometre down the road from me, we're, we're doing exactly the same things. The protocols are not set by us; they're set by the Ministry of Health in terms of uh, the COVID response. But some of the restrictions on what people can and can't do around the country are imposed by central government. So those protocols remain the same. So, so let's and, let's. And for oh, sorry, continue on. Continue. So for local councils, it's about um, leading by example and complying with those um, national imperatives. And in terms of what we can do in our local community, it's about looking after or supporting, first of all, the health uh, uh, service providers in our district. And so we've had one request by one medical centre to help set up a drive-through testing um, mechanism outside their clinic. So they can still have their normal uh, customers who need um, emergency or important healthcare can come into the clinic, but people who potentially have COVID symptoms will be assessed outside in the car park. Uh, so we're helping to set that up. I believe it might be up and running already this morning. The decision was made yesterday to support it. And then what can we do to help people? So we have a lot of elderly people who are regular clients of the health sector some of them have meals on wheels delivered to their homes two or three times a week. And so that logistic chain that's normally provided or funded by the local health sector um, at the moment, their emphasis is elsewhere. So we can support those sorts of things. So if necessary, uh, we did this last year during lockdown level four, the council provided staff. We went to the supermarkets, we bundled up. The supermarket had food uh, hampers ready and we delivered those to those homes where people were highly vulnerable, unable to move, unable to go shopping, unable to shop online because they're not connected to the internet. So we're helping out with things like that. And we're repeating that process again uh, this time around. Although right now I've got to say, it's probably a bit early and we're not getting any demands for this sort of um, aid right now. So so let's put that in, in, in a little bit of context for people. You've just gone into a lockdown and um, I think the whole world, well, we see in Europe, certainly New Zealand comes up with COVID again and again and again because you've kept it out primarily. Um, so when you have a lockdown, it's a very strict lockdown uh, for a short period of time, is my understanding. Uh, the, that is the strategy, yes. So um, can you give a little bit of background about what's happened now? It's a border case uh, from in from Australia, is that right? 
Yeah, so, you know, a, a huge part of the success of our strategy up until this most recent lockdown is that the, the degree of um, uh, testing that's done at our borders, all of our cases over the last probably 12 to 14 months have been detected at the border. Mm -hmm. So we have um, isolation facilities and quarantine facilities at, at the international borders, yeah. the nearest motels at, at the international airports, for example. And so people have to go there first. They have to remain there for a couple of weeks. There's a couple of tests that they must complete there during those two-week period before they're able to leave that, um, that hotel, that isolation facility. So all of the cases so far over the last roughly 14 months have been detected at that level. Mm -hmm. So they were never getting into the community. They were contained at the international border isolation facility yeah. and treated there. So what's just happened on Wednesday is we've detected a case that was in the community. It was the first one in roughly 14 months, approximately. Um, and so they very, very quickly had to isolate that person, do some gene, genome sequence testing to try and identify which strain and try and identify where it came from. So another huge part of the health strategy has been around the contact tracing protocols. So There's comprehensive work by a range of different parts of our health sector. And um, of course, it takes uh, two to three days to complete that process. Mm -hmm. And in that two to three days already, uh, we've gone from one case to now, I think it's 21 as of this morning. So there's a you know, the saying, there's going to be probably a number of slogans in New Zealand. So the saying right now is um, hard and fast. So that means throw maximum control measures over wherever be. And right now it's over the entire country. Right from the start, do it hard. And then we should be able to recover more quickly and get back down to a low level of uh, response. Uh, as opposed to some of, uh, some of the other countries and even our nearest neighbours, Australia, where in some of these states, they go really hard. They put in sort of partial um, control measures yeah. uh, and it took them much, much longer to, to sort that problem yeah. out. So our government has made a very, very strong decision. We're not going down that path. Uh, we want to try and eliminate and um, uh, get on top of this thing right from the get-go to reduce the amount of time that we lock the country down. With, with the impact of no tourism, at all the borders to there's no tourism um for the economy at all there has been but australia there has been it's been very very strictly controlled so which countries um are allowed to come in here mm -hmm. um it's, it's tightly scrutinized uh australia and the pacific islands that we that our government has um administrative um, obligations to have been slightly different rules for them uh, but our government has also funded, partly funded, some of the COVID response into those Pacific islands to okay. ensure that they can get to a level of health security Excellent. that is commensurate with our health strategy back here in New Zealand. Um, and even between Australia and New Zealand, there was a period of time when they, when New Zealand relaxed the border controls for Australian people. Yeah. And now that's changing. And the Australians have had to do the same domestically because mm -hmm. of some outbreaks that have been regularly occurring over the last year. Well, it, it's extremely impressive from afar. Um, we keep referencing New Zealand and their response to it. We've been 
certainly in Ireland, the opposite, a, a leaky bucket of uh, COVID response to, to balance, <laughs> I think to get a balance. But um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm impressed and it all seems great. Um, there's a question in here, and I think this goes back to the flooding. So um, not quite as much uh, about the COVID. I think it came in when we were talking about flooding. Um, so was there a change in plans for future responses or any specific training for responders to these events being the floods? Yeah, great question, because um, I'm just, just about to sign off on the the report that uh, where we did the review of this latest flood response. So for for our district, yeah, there are some changes, and they're not big, they're not hostile changes. So in terms of the managed response, the Emergency Operations Centre, we have set scales for the staff that we put into the first shift when we first activate our emergency operations centre. So we've up, up uh, the ante on that. We're including more people in it now. Um, more GIS staff and more comm staff are a part of that. Um, and in terms of our responders, no, no differences there. But what we have spent a bit of time on in our council is providing resources, flood response resources that we can use on people's homes and outside businesses. So um, sandbagging, uh, there are some manufactured flood um, protection devices that people can buy. So our council's bought a bit of this stuff. And we're mm. the only council that I'm aware of in the South Island that does this. Yeah. Most other councils will just encourage people to go and buy your own sandbags and learn how to do improvised flood protection. So we have an inventory of that. We have trained volunteers who can do that. But we're now spending a bit more resource uh, on a public education program that's going to unleash over the next um, hopefully 12 to 24 months to not only encourage people to buy those sorts or invest in those sorts of things themselves, but mm -hmm. to put on or to offer public demonstrations on how to do this stuff. And we're looking to make some create some partnerships with the insurance sector and providers of some of the resources that enable this sort of um, self-protection to go on. So moving the strategies kind of move away from us as council, as a, an emergency management organisation, providing resources to encouraging the community to do that for themselves and providing them some assistance on how to make that happen. Okay. You guys are wonderfully proactive. It's fantastic. I love seeing it. Uh, Keith Copeland, how many staff members, responders, or volunteers do you have within emergency management? Yeah, right. So the Waimakariri District, we are one of 10 local councils or local authorities across the province of Canterbury. We are the third largest um, district geographically and in terms of our population. So our, our mighty district has a population base of about uh, 55,000 people compared to Christchurch City, which has a population base of about 240,000 people. Um, and so for the size of our district, our council staff is about 430 in total, and some of those are not full-time staff. And for our emergency operations centre, currently we've got 71 of those staff are on our list. And we train them uh, once a month on how to work in the EOC. So that's a reasonably, reasonably significant contribution. In terms of our trained volunteers, we don't have a lot. So across our district, we've currently got um, 72 adult trained volunteers. And a little over a year ago, we started a cadet program for uh, interested youth between the age of 12 and 18 years old. 
Um, and we don't use them operationally for a real emergency. Mm -hmm. We'll let them observe, but because of their age, they, they deploy. Um, so there's 20 of those. So one of the things that we're working on, uh, and it's another strategic approach over the next couple of years, is trying to get us into a space where we enable communities and small communities or neighbourhoods to enable and encourage them to stand up as a community and put in place their own arrangements. And if we can add a little bit of uh, resource to enable that, we'll do that. So there's been a quite a high dependence on, we'll leave it to the council and the civil defence um, agency, which is the council, with all of our emergency response partners mm -hmm. to look after our community. Um, and you know that's not the best, strongest place to be in. The strongest place is a community that can do that for themselves and not have a high dependence on the authorities um, to do all the work. So there's a bit of work going on to try and engage our community, enable it and empower it to look after itself. And if we need to provide some resources to do that, we will certainly consider that. Yeah, excellent. Um, Nico, who is uh, Coast Guard New Zealand, um, mm -hmm. asks what software you have in your EOC, which is a nice little transition uh, for us. I think you were going to share your screen. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I'll try and so um, I'm not a techno guru, so trying to navigate oh. my screen is really difficult for me, Nico. But can you can they see that screen? Um, I, screen? I'll put it up once once I see it here. Yep. Yeah, okay, we got it. So okay, so we use um, critically three. Uh, we use D4H thanks to Robin and his team. Um, we use ArcGIS as our primary um, geospatial information system, and Kate Burns is an expert at that. And we use email. And so between ArcGIS and D4H, they are our principal information recording tools. Uh, we can identify who is in trouble, who needs help, where the physical problems are in our district geographically, who we've got available to respond to those needs and who we've actually deployed and through d4h in particular now you're looking there at the map of where things were reported where activities and incidents have been reported and in terms of our action plan on what we're going to do about that and here we've got i think would you uh, be able to make that full screen uh, brandon if possible it's 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 quite small for us um, okay, i'm not sure how to even um if you go view at the top of your browser possibly there's a full screen option um what are you in chrome yeah unfortunately my browser is not giving me that oh don't worry too much we can see it. go for it we, we can see it okay um so yeah within d4h um we're we're capturing what's being reported to us from the field what people are ringing into us but more importantly we're capturing what we're doing about that information and through arcgis we can spatially see what that looks like across a, a map of our district so those are our two most critical softwares that you that we use and email is just another mechanism for us to talk to other agencies of course, in D4H and ArcGIS, we can share that information because they're web-based. So there are a range of agencies who partner with us, and under the right conditions, at the right time, we will share um, our ArcGIS and our D4H platforms with those agencies. 
So there are privacy um, conventions in New Zealand that we have to be careful about that. Uh, but it's, it still enables us to share critical data with the critical service providers. So we do that. And we, I just got to say, you know, we absolutely love um, D4H. Uh, here in Canterbury, across the 10 uh, councils, uh, we were the second council to buy D4H product. We bought it a few years ago now. And across the 10 uh, councils of the Canterbury province, there has been now a partnership agreement and the entire Canterbury province has procured it as a regional procurement. So our council no longer has to pay for our access to D4H. It's done under a partnership across the whole region. So all 10 councils are now using this and a number of other councils across New Zealand and the North Island, I understand, are also using it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of New Zealand activity for sure. Um, so could you go back to the map? Is that, that possible? Yeah, I've uh, done something to the screen, so I'm not sure. Oh, okay, yeah, here we go. I'll go back there. I think we're seeing captions as well. Um, come yeah. up, uh, hit, hit map and we'll, we'll see how we do. There you go. I'm in the map now. Can you see that? Yeah, so this is the same flooding event we just talked about. Yes, this is the actual um, site that we used for the, the flood. And uh, do you want me to turn those captions off? Is that easier? Yeah, if you're able. And, and even that... Um, there's a, it says it's sharing your screen. I don't know if you're able to, to um, hide that as well. I think the captions are coming from the um, restream event, but we'll, we'll, we'll make do. So, um, yeah, don't, don't worry. Um, so, so what we're looking at here is the map of that actual event. What are the pins on the map that were yeah, so over here, this is a, a, an elderly rest home. Uh, so it got flooded inside. Um, the flooding didn't come from the surface. It was actually rainfall and a faulty roof we discovered in the end. Um, but it was significant enough that those people had to be relocated. And that happened rather quickly thanks to the local fire brigade. That's, that's uh, we, have, we have Nico saying F11 should fill, full screen it for you on Chrome on a PC. F11, F11, F11. How's that? Oh, uh, looks Coast Guard New Zealand helping. Uh, Nico. Nico, I need you to ring me later on, please. <laughs> Technology <laughs> support and analyst, right? Okay. So amongst that screen, there you can see. Hopefully, we've a range of things: bridge closures, um, a place where we needed to deploy sandbags. So we sent our volunteer rescue team there with a trailer load of sandbags. Our volunteer rescue team's got a lot of experience at doing improvised flood protection. And because we're a very rural community, they'll walk around people's garages and um, out outbuildings and sheds, and they'll just look for materials and they'll make stuff out of that. What, so what, what's their team name? NZRT12, it means New Zealand Response Team Number 12. I think there are 22 of them in total mm -hmm. across New Zealand. Uh, we're very lucky um, as a district and as a council to have such a team in our district. Yeah, uh, this team created itself. It was an idea of a kid at, at a local college. He started up a rescue club in his college, and many, many years later, the council learned about it, and we brought it in, and we funded it, and made it something else. So, your question in uh, there on mapping uh, from Ross Brown: Have you looked at any field force type tools like ATAC? And I believe ATAC is Android Team. Uh, let me get the acronym Android Team something kit awareness kit 
Um, so it's where you can track people live. I think it's a US government piece of software uh, where you can track um, people live in the field. Uh, yeah, probably our equivalents to that is that there's a number of things. So first of all, ArcGIS, we, we send teams out in the field to do reconnaissance um, and sometimes we'll send them out to do a field task like sandbags. And they'll be armed with a smart device. So we've got a number of tablets preloaded with our ArcGIS uh, platform. And with this platform, there is a collector or a field app version. So they can take it out, uh, aim their smartphone or their tablet at the house that's being flooded, take a picture, a photo or a video, uh, and they can upload that instantly to a map, which then populates back in our emergency operations center for as long as they've got an internet connection. And even if they haven't got internet connection, it saves on their device. They just drive somewhere where they get internet, push a button, and then it'll populate back in our EOC. So we can see on the map in the EOC where that is. We can open up the icon that's on the map and see the photo or the video. So uh, if there's internet connection, it's almost live streaming equivalent. In addition to that, um, all of our civil defence volunteers, uh, we throw them out into the field with a GPS-enabled radio so we can track where they are. And all of our council vehicles are GPS-embedded so we can track where they are. So you're getting that Our position, primary right? source of comms in the field is normally VHF radio. Uh, mm -hmm. That's what we use as the civil defence team within the council. Uh, most of the council vehicles... Um, we'll use uh, smartphones because our district is so geographically small, we've got pretty good coverage for cellular networks. So between cell phone and VHF radio, um, we get pretty good comms across our district. Excellent. That's good to know. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you um, in the middle there. You, you were just talking about the map and you were scrolling south a little bit. Yep. Yeah, so there's a task here. Um, we can see at this bubble, and if, Robin, you might have to navigate me on how I spring up the. Oh, just click straight on the green icon. icon. Yeah. Okay. All right, and so it links back to uh, down here inside the D4H site on the left-hand side of the margin. We can see all field tasks that we've um, that we've planned at the EO inside the EOC, and we're looking now at one specific task. So at that location, that address there, the task was about police communications contacted request information might be heard about residents. So we had an elderly couple living at that residence. They were obviously worried about the amount of surface flooding around their property, and a team was dispatched there to see what was the problem there and whether Excellent. they actually needed physical assistance. Um, and so we would be waiting for that team to complete that task and either radio back from the field or ring us from the field or populate uh, through ArcGIS. Um, and if they made a phone call back to us, then one of the EOC staff would put that into D4H. And so through the updates tool here on the left-hand side, it's basically, if you think about um, committee meetings, inwards, mm -hmm. outwards correspondence, everything that is said, everything that we receive, and everything that we send out, we track it in this record here. And it's Brilliant. running chronologically, it's automatically timestamped by the D4H platform. Uh, but staff can put in there any information they like about what they've just dealt with. It might be a communication by phone or radio. It might be a document that someone's emailed to us. 
It might be a communication that we initiated by phone to some external um, person or organization, and we keep a running um, total of that. So when you interrogate this updates list or this um, chronology of inwards and outwards communication and correspondence, and you compare that to what we're capturing geospatially, uh, you get a pretty good sort of understanding of what's happening in the district and what we're doing about it. Uh, but I probably would have to say, um, Robin, D4H, we, in, in our emergency operations centre, we don't have a lot of technology resources there, but there are two main screens that we always project. Mm. One is the D4H screen, and the other one is our ArcGIS screen. Our Excellent. single source of truth for geospatial um, capture of information is the ArcGIS screen. Mm -hmm. And our single source of truth for what we're doing about what we see on the ArcGIS screen, uh, screen is our D4H screen. Brilliant. Oh, that's great to hear. The Glenn Mitchell um, says we're keen to set up a D4H users group in New Zealand. Um, well, to say from the D4H side, we're um, very uh, keen on you doing that too. If we can be of any assistance in any way of connecting you with more people, um, let us know how you would like to set that group up. Um, we will happily uh, be involved in it, but it needs to be somewhere that uh, is on a platform which, which you all uh, sort of want to use and agree with. So we, we can set up Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups or whatever, but they'll end up empty after time. So it's better to come from the community and you can invite us in and we'll be part of it or um, whether when we're next time in New Zealand, we'll get people together physically uh, e either way. Um, but let us know and we'll, we'll do our best to promote it to everyone in New Zealand. Uh, glad for you to have a private area to, to discuss T4H. Fantastic. Brennan, that, that is really great. Thank you very much. I think it's been an uh, uh, eye-opener for people on what, what goes on in, in your region. Um, we've held a great viewership all the way through. Um, lots of questions. So um, this will be is recorded, and it'll be instantly available to watch back on YouTube. Um, so you can, you can check us out there. We've also got our podcast, which you'll be able to access. Um, if you go to our website, Go to the blog you'll find a link to the podcast on spotify google Podcasts, since the audio version of this too and all the previous episodes we've been doing over the last year so there's lots of interesting people talking about uh, how they respond to incidents around the world brennan anything else you i've missed i may we may have agreed to talk about it and i've missed or otherwise we'll we'll wrap it up no, I don't think so. Um, but again, uh, from Waimakariri District to D4H, thank you very much. We're loving D4H. We loved it the first time we set eyes on it and uh, our, our appetite for it's growing every time we use it. Excellent. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.